Welcome to the Drop Time Report. Turn up the volume and listen to amazing stories about big bucks and the hunters who harvested them. Here is your host, outdoor writer, Tracy Breen. On this week's episode of the Drop Time Report, we're going to have on Steve Scott. Steve works for Whitetail Institute. Whitetail Institute is best known for producing amazing food plot seeds. So over the course of the last several decades, they've answered just about every question there is uh, about food plots. Uh, Soil testing, what seed is best based on soil conditions, where to plant uh, this seed blend versus that seed blend. And so today, Steve is going to talk about food plot fallacies, food plot mistakes, uh, things people do right and things people do wrong when planting food plots. So if you're into uh, managing your own ground and you want to plant the best food plot possible, uh, today's going to be a great episode for you. Uh, before we get started, I want to thank my sponsors, uh, our title sponsor, Redneck Blinds, Fourth Arrow Camera Arms, Winsent, Morel Targets, Grim Reaper Broadheads, Pine Ridge Archery, Illinois Connection, and last but not least, Wilderness Athlete. Uh, If you're looking to shed a few pounds before deer season or you want to get in shape for a backcountry elk hunt, uh, go to Wilderness Athlete Nutritional Products website at wildernessathlete.com and check out their products. Uh, You can support this podcast by supporting them at checkout. Just type in DROP10 and you'll save 10% on your order. Uh, let's go ahead and get Steve on the phone. Welcome to the Drop Time Report, Steve. How are you? Tracy, I'm doing great. How are you, sir? Oh, spring's coming, so I'm in a, in a decent mood. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. Yes, it is. And uh, we've already experienced a little bit of it. No, we're enjoying it. So uh, it's coming. Just hang on. I'm sure the uh, busy season for food plots and Whitetail Institute is uh, well underway. Um, it is. It is. It is, uh, believe it or not, but even with all the snow blowing up in the northeast and it's still cold in some parts of the north, the southern part of the country is, uh, you know, it's stalled out and uh, already getting started in the middle part of the country will be starting here in the next few weeks and the north few weeks after that. So uh, it's time to get started. Um, you know, we discussed earlier this morning, I called to talk to you about this interview and we're going to highlight maybe some fallacies in the food plot world, uh, some things that people do wrong, maybe just by accident. And, and for starters, one of those um, is soil testing. A lot of people spend a lot of money on tractors, on ATVs, on discs, on tillers, on, on anything and everything to do with putting in a food plot Um they even buy, you know, Whitetail Institute seed, which is some of the best on the market and expensive, but then they fail because uh, they don't do a, a soil test. Could you explain maybe why that is so important? Um, yeah, I'll say this. It's something that um, uh, if, if, if people don't get anything else from this conversation, uh, please take this away from it. If they're going to do a food plot, take the time to do a professional soil test where you send the soil off to get it analyzed by laboratory. Uh, There's a reason farmers do it, and there's a reason food plotters need to do it. Uh, As far as why they don't do it, it's something I think, you know, it's it's, it's somewhat of an education deal, just learning how important it really is, Um, understanding that the, uh, 
I guess the homework they do before the seeds actually hit the ground can make all the difference in the world. And uh, I use, uh, I, I say this, is that doing a soil test can be the difference between the best food plot somebody can imagine and total failure. That's how important it is, or anywhere in between. And generally it would be in between. Uh, very inexpensive to do, very easy to do. Um, another, you know, the, the benefits they're going to get, they're going to give their food, you know, the, the seeds that they plant, the best chance to perform as well as they possibly can. They're going to create an environment in that soil to where those seeds can flourish. The other thing that they're going to do is they, you know, instead of just taking a shotgun approach of uh, throwing out, you know, three or 400 pounds of fertilizer and planting the seed and hoping for the best, uh, with a soil test, they're going to find out exactly what they need to add to that soil, whether it be lime and or fertilizer and how much. Uh, and they, they're, they're probably going to end up saving some money by buying exactly what they need as opposed to just guessing at it. Explain what exactly lime does to the soil. You know, I mean, I, I know from interviewing you over the years for magazine articles that, you know, it really helps the soil take up the fertilizer. Um, but maybe explain to the people out there that don't know what exactly does lime do to the soil? Why is it so important? Yeah, I mean, getting into the chemistry, and I didn't do very good in chemistry in high school, but uh, I, understand, <laughs> <laughs> I understand the basics of it. It's, uh, it sweetens the soil, and, and uh, uh, when, you, when you put the fertilizer elements out, for example, you know, whether it be nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium, by putting the lime out, it raises the pH of the soil. And when the, when the pH of the soil gets up to where it needs to be into the neutral range, then the plants that are growing in that soil can extract all of the fertilizer elements that you've put in. In other words, if you put out, for example, I think, uh, again, these numbers may not be exactly right, but I believe if the pH is down like around like 5, 5.0, and you put out 100 pounds of fertilizer, excuse me, let's say $100 worth of fertilizer, $50 of that fertilizer is going to be bound up because of the chemistry in the soil, because the pH is too low. Where if you raise that pH by adding lime prior to planting, let the pH come up, you put out $100 worth of fertilizer, the plants can use $100 worth of the fertilizer. Okay, okay, good analogy. Uh, and I know from just talking to food plotters over the years, I think one mistake some guys make is, you know, they go buy a few bags of lime or or, you know, even a uh, a pickup truck load of lime and spread it and think they're good without doing the soil test, obviously. And in a lot of cases, a food plot needs tons of lime, literally, not a few bagfuls, correct? That is correct. It's uh, generally lime's going to be, uh, 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 the recommendations are going to be in tons per acre. Uh, and that doesn't need to scare somebody off uh, simply because lime's very inexpensive, uh, especially, you know, there's, they're, 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 places you can you can call where they can come and actually deliver and, and spread the lime for you on your food plots or you can pick it up but lime you know very 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 inexpensive lime's typically recommended in tons per acre whereas the fertilizer is recommended generally in hundreds of pounds per acre the fertilizer is more expensive than the lime considerably okay okay so ex- explain uh how a guy should go about uh, taking a soil test. I walk, I walk out in the middle of my food plot. Let's say I got a, a five acre food plot or an acre food plot, whatever it is. And I'm going to send in uh, a test to Whitetail Institute. And you and I have talked about this before. I shouldn't just take a soil ta- sample from one spot. I should take it from several, correct? 
100% correct, and uh, and I encourage people to do that. And for example, if, you know, let's say you got an acre food plot. You know, the temptation is to drive up to the field, walk into the edge of the field, to stick your shovel in the ground and fill your little bag up and send it off. Uh, the negative to that is, it's you're going to be sending in one pound of soil roughly to be tested, and that one pound of soil has got to rep- or needs to represent the millions of pounds of soil that will be in that food plot. So if you take it from one spot, you know, you, you, it may be right, but then again, it may not be. So the way you prevent that is the best way is just, you know, get you like a little spade shovel, like a gardening shovel, in uh, a good, clean bucket, like a five-gallon bucket, and walk around to different spots of the field, kind of zigzagging through the middle on the edges, and get, you know, six, eight, ten different scoops of soil to put in that bucket. And then stir that up real good, and then takes about a, you know, our bags have a little line that tells you how to fill it up. It's about a pound. Fill it, take the soil out of that bucket, put it in the bag, and then send that bag in for it to be analyzed. That way you've got a better chance of getting representation from the entire field. Okay. Okay. And then, so they send it in, and then you send them back an analysis of, you know, where their, their soil rates, so to speak. And then you actually tell them, you know, of the... Uh, seed that you guys offer the different blends uh, what one would be best or what two or three would be best based on their soil is that correct no really what they not really what they need to do is they really need to decide what they want to plant before they send it in uh, in other words are they going to be wanting to plant a perennial like imperial white or clover are they going to plant something for a fall and winter hunting plot like our winter greens uh, and they they really need to decide what they want to plant in that plot before they send the soil off uh, and, and they can check on our soil test. They can check, for example, they can check Imperial Whitetail Clover and Winter Greens, and we'll test for both. They can test up to two things at one time, uh, okay. and it will give them recommendations for either one. But they really need to decide beforehand what they're going to plant, and then when they send the soil in, they can check off what they want to plant in that in that soil in, in that food plot, and then our lab will make recommendations on what they need to do to that soil to get the food plot to perform to its best. Okay, okay. Now, if a guy only has one food plot or only a couple food plots and, and he just wants to keep things simple, so to speak, is a clover plot still king? Mm, in my opinion, yes. Uh, again, you know, it's, there's some if, ands, and buts there, but, if you know, again, if he's only got a half acre or an acre, uh, you know, deer density comes into play, uh, his goals come into play, when does he hunt early season, late season coming into play? But, yeah, I mean, if the gun's to my head, I mean, Imperial White to Clover is going to be hard to beat. Uh, you know, ideally, I'd love to be able to see somebody that's got, you know, say they've got a one plot that's, whatever, acre and a half in size. Plant a half acre or, say, half of that field uh, in Imperial White to Clover, and then in the other half, plant a fall and winter annual. Kind of gives them the both the best of both worlds. Okay. Okay. By splitting the field in half, uh, and you know you get a little variety within the same plot. You've got things that are going to become more attractive as as the seasons change. Uh, another fallacy, if you will, is uh, you know, hey, I, I'm in the middle of farm country. My property's surrounded by soybeans and corn. I don't really need a food plot. Um, obviously, we know that that's wrong. Kind of kind of explain your position on that. Uh, what benefits there are to having a food plot when you in fact have property that's smack dab in the middle of farm country 
Yeah, and that's a and that's a question. Uh, we used to get a lot more than we do now, but we still get it a good bit. And, you know, a guy call in and say, "Hey, you know, my whole state is a food plot. It's got corn and beans. You know, far as I can see, you know, why in the world do I need to even consider planting a food plot?" Which is, you know, a question I would ask if I were in their shoes. Uh, and the and the answer is this: uh, when it you know when it comes to uh, the new combines that they've got on uh, on uh, beans and corn, they don't leave as much on the ground as they used to. A lot of farmers are starting to practice where as soon as the combine runs to the field, they're going in there and disking, it, disking everything under as well. So there's not as much grain left. It's a beautiful situation to have because you got to, you know, I know the farmers don't like it because the deer are eating up their crops, but from a deer hunting standpoint, when they've got that much food out there, I mean, that's just a huge, huge benefit. But where they can take it to another level is this. Everybody in the neighborhood has got beans and corn on their property. What are you going to do to differentiate your property? And okay. having a high-quality, attractive green food plot is a great way to differentiate your property during the hunting season. Give them a reason when they're standing on the fence, you know, wondering which way I'm going to go today to eat. Uh, well, I'm going to go this way. they got a little bit more choice to eat. Uh, so it gives them some variety. gives them some things that become very attractive during the fall and winter uh, uh, in, in, in conjunction with the beans and the corn. And the and the other thing is this is uh you know obviously the Midwest is known for monster deer and rightfully so it's uh pretty amazing some of the deer that come out of there, but what they can do, and 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 this is, normally beans for example corn corn doesn't do a whole lot directly for antler development soybeans are very high protein are very good for antler development, but typically soybeans are going to be planted in say sometime in mid 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 May to mid June somewhere in there. And antlers start growing roughly in March or April. So yeah. what happens? So what happens is, is by the time those beans are planted and come up, and start producing some food for the deer to eat on again, which the farmers hate. But uh, you know, you're going to be looking at you're going to be in June probably at least where the deer start feeding on it, and they've been growing antlers for two or three months. High protein is critical to be in a deer's diet, a day, in his daily diet for the entire antler growing process. Uh, matter of fact, the uh, Beginning antler uh, growth um, is what's not blood and water is made up of up to eighty percent protein. Wow! Hardened antler, uh, hard antler is forty five percent protein. So protein is crucial. They got a um, a great diet there in the in the Midwest in the in the um, um, uh, food plot states. I guess if you would with beans and corn everywhere, but they can take it to another level. For example, with our perennials, imperial white chill, clover fusion, and the other ones. They're some of the first things to green up in the spring. In the spring, and they're going to green up. You know, as soon as the ground temperature raises up, they're going to start feeding on it. They're going to have a high protein diet earlier than they would if they were dependent on just the beans to be available in say June. Okay, okay. And also, once you say a food plot by putting one in, you're taking the candy bar approach too a little bit, where uh, they're used to beans and and used to corn and in your food plot, especially in the fall, if it's a kill plot or whatever, it's kind of taking the candy bar approach. You're giving something out of the ordinary that they can't get elsewhere. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly right. You know, you're kind of just differentiating your property from everybody else in the neighborhood and giving, giving deer more reason to spend more time on your property as opposed to the neighbors. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. And I'm going to go where the, I'm going to go where the candy bar is generally too. <laughs> Snickers. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, I certainly won't turn one down. <laughs> okay. Now, 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 talk about maybe um, 
some, the science behind your seed blends versus uh, some of the other things on the market. And we won't we won't pick on anybody. And and you and I talked about that already. You're not a guy to throw someone under the bus. But at the same time, we can talk about you know what makes your seed blends special and the science and research behind them. Yeah, that's a uh, that's a good question. And, and what we do is you know, for example, uh, when we started with Imperial White Tail Clover. Uh, we've gotten a, had an agronomist. He's passed away since, and we've hired another one. But uh, uh, that was 30 years ago. He actually developed clover varieties from scratch. Uh, and what I mean by that, I think it was about 100 and 110 different clover seeds that he planted in different little boxes and evaluated for performance. And what he did, one of the main things he looked for was obviously attractiveness to whitetails, but the other one was seedling vigor. And so the reason seedling vigor was important, uh, uh, or is important, is, is a lot of times food plotters aren't planting in, 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 a, uh, in a perfect environment. They don't do quite as good a job as, say, a farmer would on his food plot. So what we want to do is we want to get that seed up and going quick as we can so that it can compete better with weeds and grasses that would come along, uh, that are invariably going to come along, uh, and get a head start on them, if you will. Uh, plus, most of our most of our uh, products are, are blends of seeds that complement each other. Um, I'm trying to come up with an analogy. For example, um, uh, our Pure Attraction product is, is a late summer, early fall planted product. It's a blend of our uh, whitetail oats and our brassica. Um, what you've got is the plant. We've got it blended properly, so if somebody puts it out pretty close to the seeding, right, follow the directions. Um, the oats are going to grow real, real fast, as well as the brassica, but they're going to feed on the oats earlier in the season. And then as the colder weather starts to set in and you get a good hard frost, then the brassica becomes more attractive. So we've built a blend that's going to be attractive for the early season as well as the late season. Uh, and, my, and our spring and summer product, our power plant product, is another example Um We've got climbing uh, soybeans in there that actually, you know, climb up a vine, and we've got a, a little bit of sun hemp and a little bit of sunflower in it that grow taller and a heavier stalk, and where the beans can climb up, and, and, and those other the sun hemp and the sunflower kind of works as a lattice for those beans to climb up, creates kind of a, almost like a jungle effect. The deer use it for bedding as well as uh, uh, for feeding high protein. Um, so, you know, there's just a, a lot of science gone into the development of the seeds, but also the ratios and the blends and how they work together and complement each other. Um, I, I know that uh, one thing that has become extremely popular is um, building food plots off the beaten path where maybe it's a very secluded area and you're trying to provide a food plot that uh, will pull deer into an area where they feel comfortable eating, let's say, and yeah, or near a bedding area, and you just can't get equipment to it. You can't uh, get herbicide to it. You can't get your tractor to it. And you guys make some products, especially for those areas. Uh, kind of explain how that works. It's definitely not something you just throw on the ground and walk away. There's there's more to it than that. Yeah, there is, and it's something. Yeah, we do have products uh, specifically for that. One is one of our products is called No Plow. Uh, and if the area they're going to be planting, kind of secluded area, half acre or bigger, uh, the no plow is a great choice for that. Uh, if they're smaller than that, we've got two uh, two products. One called uh, Secret Spot, 
one product called a bow stand that are designed for these applications. Um, now, the the minimums they're going to have to do is going to have to get some sunlight, three or four hours of sunlight a day. So, in other words, they can't go up under heavy canopy of trees and you know and move the pine straw or the leaves and the sticks out of the way. It's got to be getting some sunlight for the chemistry to work. That's number one. Number two is they need to do whatever it takes to make sure that the seeds that they put out can make contact with the soil. has to have seed-soil contact to grow. So somehow or another, you mentioned can't get equipment in there, but hopefully herbicides uh, are an option, uh, uh, whether it be Roundup, what have you, something to go in there if, it, if there's existing grasses and weeds in there to spray to knock those down. It makes it a lot easier to kind of uh, get that soil exposed. Uh, they can go in there with, you know, even hand tools. Uh, obviously, going to be some some uh, elbow grease needed, uh, but they're going to go in there and scratch it up. Something to expose the soil, whether it be grass there, weeds there, sticks there, what have you. Uh, so we've got sunlight, we've got the soil exposed, and then anything else they can do, I would recommend that they do for sure add some fertilizer, and if possible, maybe a little bit of lime. But uh, uh, but sunlight expose the soil put some fertilizer down, and they can have a great little spot to hunt. And uh, a lot of times those things are just surrounded by thick, thick, thick woods on all sides. And, you know, and go in there and make sure they got the wind right and they can sneak in there without disturbing everything. They can have an excellent setup. Sure. Have you uh, built those type of plots yourself? I have. I have. Uh, the place we hunted was, it's actually, we were uh, hunted for about 20-something years, was leased land. They grew pine trees. But there were some spots in there where beetles uh, got in there, and they go in there with a bulldozer, just knock everything down. We were able to go clean some of those up. Some of them were very small, you know, uh, uh, you know, probably quarter acre, maybe even smaller. Some of them were a little bigger, up closer to an acre. But uh, some of them we couldn't get equipment to. Some of them we could get some uh, four wheelers to, and go in there and kind of scratch it up. But they make they make fantastic spots. Uh, Plus, you know, if somebody wants to get creative, they can kind of create a food plot that no one else knows about. Yeah, yeah. Now, if a guy if a guy only has one food plot or two food plots, and he he wants to hunt over them, um, and that's his main goal is just killing deer over them. Do you suggest an annual in most cases, and planting just before fall when you know the rains are going to come? Yes, I would. If uh, if they're limited on the on the on their on the on the amount of plots they've got and the amount of acreage in those plots and equipment and stuff like that, I would I would probably lean more toward the uh, fall and winter annuals that are planted in the late summer or fall uh, and grow real real fast and can be extremely attractive early season and late season uh, depending on what they choose to plant. But yeah, for somebody, and and the, and the reality is is that's what most people do is they want to see more deer and they want to see better quality deer. And uh, by planting stuff for fall and winter, they're going to see more deer. And then as they do that, generally they'll grow to the point where, you know what, I want to see better deer. Then they can start looking into the perennials, imperial white-tail clover, or a fusion product. Or they may want to plant something just specifically for spring to provide a lot of tonnage and a lot of protein while deer are growing their antlers. You know, the does are having their fawns as well as producing milk for their fawns. Uh, but just attraction, yeah, I'd probably lean more toward the uh Fall and winter annual stuff like you know I, we, I mentioned no plow, secret spot bow stand got a product uh, our pure attraction products a great choice winter greens is a phenomenal product as well uh, ambush and you know the list goes on and on a lot of choices okay okay 
In closing, uh, maybe one last mistake you see uh, hunters make when planting food plots that you know might be fairly easy to overcome. Um, you know, so they're, they're, and again, it's hadn't thought that all the way through. But one of the things that pops into my mind is is somebody trying to do more acreage than their budget allows. Uh, and what I mean by that is, uh, uh, you know, have a guy, you know, got a club that, you know, they got a budget set for their food plots and they want to plant 10 acres. Uh, I would a lot rather see somebody do five or six acres by the book and do it right than do 10 acres and start cutting corners. Okay. Makes sense. And, uh, and that's, and that's probably what I see more than anything is, I you know, the, the people cutting corners and, 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 you know, and I'm, I hate to say I'm almost hypocritical by that because I'm the world's worst about, well, when my kids are smaller on Christmas Eve sitting down to put their toys together. And when I get through, I got three or four pieces left over. <laughs> so then I, then I go back, take it all apart, read the directions and do it right. I'd rather somebody read the directions and do these food plots right the first time because you can't take them apart and redo it until the following year. So follow the directions, be detailed oriented. And the other thing I encourage them to do is, is call our 800 number. I mean, our, it's 800-688-3030. We got consultants here. We're open 8 to 5, Monday through Friday, Central Time. And uh, and we can help them with any question they've got. I mean, I'd say 99 point something percent of the questions we can answer right then. And if we don't have the answer right then, we can find it and get back to them. But use us. I mean, we've been here for 30 years and got a lot of experience helping people. And we can help people avoid uh, a mistake and wasting a year. Yeah, and, and and let's face it, food plots are expensive. So if you screw up, uh, you're flushing money down the drain. You can be, yeah. I mean, it it can be, and it's something that uh, uh, by following the you know following the directions, we got you know uh, everything detailed on the bags. But you know, we've also got it on on our website, whitetailinstitute.com. And and the other thing is, you know, there's nothing like being able to talk to a, a knowledgeable human about some of these things. And we've got people that call us from. Basically, the back of a tractor. Uh, what about this? Hey, that's fine. I, we we love it when they call us. Call us and let us help you. And you know, the more successful they are, obviously, the better customer they're going to be on time. Yeah, cool. Well, I appreciate your time today. Uh, you're a knowledgeable guy, and uh, hopefully, uh, the listeners out there learn something about planting food plots. I, I appreciate it, Tracy. I appreciate the opportunity, and again, I encourage them. You know, go to our website, whitetailinstitute.com. A lot of information there. But if they want to talk to a live human pickup, call that 800-688-3030. Take advantage of it. You know, the call is free, the service is free, and the knowledge is free. So take advantage of it. We'll help anybody any way we can. Sounds good. Take care. Thank you, Tracy. Yeah, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Food plot season is here. Uh, So hopefully, uh, listeners out there, you guys learned something today about putting food plots in. And maybe there's a tip or two that Steve gave that can help you. Uh, be successful in planning your food plots this spring, uh, maybe this summer, or even uh, this fall. So um, I want to thank Steve for being on the show. It was great having him. Until next week, thanks for listening. And don't forget, if you haven't, uh, go to iTunes or Google Play, wherever you listen to podcasts, and subscribe to the Drop Time Report. Uh, You can learn more about me at TracyBreen.com. Thanks, and have a great day.